It is so good to see you, and so good to be here. Uh, thank you so much for the uh, for the invitation to come and, and speak today and, and share a little bit of, from God's Word, and uh, also share our lives a little bit with you. We are um, we are just about not sleep deprived now. Um, we had a four day journey from Italy to the States uh, due to some. Uh, plane issues, and not getting on a couple of flights that we thought we would, but, uh, but we are so glad that we were able to get here and, uh, and be with you this week and this, this morning as well. It is a real gift for us to be able to, to share with you guys and worship with you guys and, and bring uh, a word from God, uh, hopefully that will encourage you today. Um, this morning, um, I want to I look at a passage out of one of my favorite books in the New Testament. Um, now, I love the Gospels, and I spend more time in the Gospels probably than any other books in the, in the Bible when I'm personally reading for, for encouragement. But, but when, I, when I jump into some of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, I can hear this, this passion and this love for the church that comes through his words that just encourages me and lets me know that what was started back then and what Paul was involved in back in that first century church speaks to me today and speaks to the church today. And so if you've got your device or you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 with us. And we're going to look at a few verses in that chapter. In fact, these verses are the, the kind of the hinge verses in Philippians. There are, there are about 10 verses right in the middle of this book that, that, uh, that are kind of the crux of what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi. And I think that as we read these verses and as we look at what he's saying to us, I think we could be encouraged as well uh, as individual believers, as those who are seeking to follow after God, and certainly as a church this morning as well. So I think we're going to put it up on the screen. And I think that you also have it in your handout, and then you probably have your Bible or your device with you. So we should have it covered, so read along while I read out loud, okay? Uh, verses 12 through 21, and it says this, Not that I've already obtained all of this, Paul is writing, or I've already arrived at, at my goal, at, our, at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that he hasn't arrived yet. I keep stretching myself. I keep reaching out for I keep straining to make sure that what is behind is behind. Whatever has held me back from running the course is behind me. But I'm stretching forth for that goal, for the prize that God has called me to. Then in verse 15, all of us then who are mature, that would be all of us, right? All of us who are mature then should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. 
join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for, as I've often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So even back then, the church faced a culture that was against the gospel of Christ. And then in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Let me pray together and then we'll look at this passage. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you that you meet with us when we choose to draw near to you. You are faithful to draw near to us. And so this morning, as we've worshipped, as we've prayed, and now as we listen to your word, we draw near to you and trust that your promises are true, that you are indeed drawing near to us and bringing us near and nearer to what you want us to be. We trust you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to unpack these verses in reverse order. And you'll see why as, as I move through this message. Because Paul ends where we end. Paul concludes this passage with where we conclude. He says to us that, that we are heading toward a destiny. He has a plan for our destiny. And so we need to recognize that we are on a journey. We are heading towards something great that God has planned for us. And so I want to pack this in, in the reverse order because in verse 20 and 21, he reminds us in these final two verses about the hope that we actually have in Christ Jesus. The hope that is secure because of who he is and because he's what he's called us to. First of all, he says who you are. He says who we are. We are, we are, we are in his hands. We are his children. I like the way he says it. We are. There's a certainty and a firmness that we can rely on, that we can place our faith in, that we are his children, that we are heading toward the destiny that he has for us, that we are secure in his hands. This is how the Father sees us. He sees us as his children, spotless, blameless, belonging to him, never to be separated from him. We are his. We are his redeemed. We are his children. We are new creations in him. That's the security that we can have. So he tells us who we are, but he also tells us whose we are. He tells us that we have a belonging to him. We are his children and he is our Father. We are His servants, and He is our Lord. We are His best friend, and He is our friend as well. We have a relationship. He's not a distant God. God is near to us, and God has come near to make us His own. It says in this passage that we're His citizens. We're citizens of heaven. Not we will be, 
citizens of heaven. But we belong to the citizenship of heaven. Our passports are stamped and signed off on because you've accepted Christ, because you've trusted in him, because you've said to him, I want you as my Lord and I want you as my Savior. We belong to him and we are his. It also says where we're heading. You know, we do have a destiny. And we love our lives here. I know that, that living at the beach is just a, a really enjoyable place to live. Um, I've spent a lot of years here. And we enjoy our lives here, but it's just a taste of the joy and the beauty and the glory that we'll have when we go to heaven. Now, I'm not rushing there, and neither are you. But we know that we have a destiny. We are heading to a place where all the tears will be wiped away, all the pain will be gone, all the sorrow will be wiped away, and God will bring a complete joy into our lives. He also says that God is going to make things right. In this passage, he says, I will make things right. If you are like I am, I get really frustrated with the um, the the pain and the hurt and the prejudice and the bias and the things that cause people to break apart rather than to come together. To know that God is going to make everything right gives me a security to know that, that He is just. He is filled with grace, but He is just as well. And God will make things right. And so if you're like I am, and you hate to see the injustices that happen. And you hate to see the violence. And you hate to see the, the, um, the divisions in our culture and around the globe. God's going to make things right. He's going to bring it to a conclusion. And so in these, first, in these last verses, he points us toward our destiny. And in doing that, the verses before that also give us three truths that we can hang on to. Three truths that will encourage us in our faith, that will give us a faith that will go the distance, but it will also give us a faith that infects and affects those around us. A faith that not only is for us to have, that secures us in His will, but a faith that propels us into a world that helps others be drawn to Christ Jesus. So I want to give you three points, and these are our fillions. So if you'll watch the screen, you can fill in your blanks, and if you want to try and guess what they are before I say them, I know some people are like that. My wife is one, but yeah. So. First of all, one of the truths I want to share with you is that a faith that changes our culture is a faith that causes us to stay away from the detours. A faith that causes us to stay away from the detours. In verse 18 and 19, Paul is talking to the church and saying to them, stand firm in the faith that you have been given. You've seen how I walk. You've seen how others walk in Christ. Stay firm in the faith that you have been given. Now, like any book in the Bible, this was not written in a vacuum. There were things going on in the church in Philippi that he was confronting. He was not only sending a love letter to the people of Philippi, but he was sending a, a, a letter that helped to correct things. 
that may have been going on. And there were certainly some things that were going on in Philippi that, was call, that were causing divisions. In fact, there were people in the church in Philippi who were saying, well, yes, the gospel is good, but it's the gospel plus. Anytime somebody says it's the gospel plus, it's Jesus plus, it's the cross plus, be wary. And that was what was going on in the church in Philippi. The people in Philippi were being, were being bombarded by these people who were saying, you need Jesus. Yes, you need Jesus, but you need Jesus plus. And so Paul confronts this. He says that there, there are three fringe groups in this passage that you really do need to watch out for. Three fringe groups. And I'll go through these really quickly. One of the groups was called the Judaizers. They were the law abiders. The Judaizers and the legalists. And, and they had this, this, uh, this idea that they wanted to move the church back to, to Jewishness, to Judaism. So it's Jesus. He's good, but you need to do the law as well. You need to be circumcised and you need to follow the commandments. And unless you do those, you don't really have Jesus. And we know that, that Jesus offers us a gift of grace. And so Paul is saying to them, it's not Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus. It's just accepting and trusting and following Jesus. It's not the good news plus the legalism. It's just the gospel of Jesus. And there was another group. These were the perfectionists. There were people in the church that were saying, listen, to be a, a follower of Jesus, you need to make sure that you have the list just right, and every day you check off those li that list. You can't relate to Jesus unless you're following the right list. Now, I'm a recovering perfectionist. My wife has been instrumental in helping me be a recovering perfectionist. When she married me, I had a five-page list. A five-page list that was my discipleship code. And that five-page list, you remember seeing that list and saying, I think you rolled your eyes. Did you roll your eyes at me? So, and this five-page list, I would check, at the end of the week, I would go through it and say, okay, I did this, yes, I, I had my quiet time every day, and yes, I, I practiced my memory verses. And, oh, did I visit anybody in the hospital? Oh, yes, I did that. Oh, wait a minute, I, I forgot to witness down at the 7-Eleven. Darn I forgot that one, so I couldn't check that off. I always needed God's grace at the end of the list, but I lived by my list. I was, I was trying to be perfect in God's sight, and I got delivered when I got married. <laughs> but there was this group of people in the Philippian church, and they were perfectionists. They said, yes, Jesus, but it's Jesus this way. It's Jesus, but it has to be this way. And Paul is warning and saying, it's not just the good news and the right checklist. It's the, the, it's the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. And then there's a, there's a third group there. These were the casual and the shameless. There were people in the church that had determined that to get God's grace, the best way is to sin. There's a logic here. If I sin more, I get more grace, right? And so the attitude was, well, I just need to sin more. And as I sin more, I'm going to have more grace, and God's going to get more glory. And so these guys were, had decided to live however they wanted to, shamelessly, 
and, and fulfill whatever they craved, whatever they wanted, whatever they needed. Christianity is all about grace, so I'll sin, so I'll get more grace. And their cry was, do it if you like to do it, and make sure you post, post the pictures. Because they were shamelessly following after the, the, the cravings of the flesh. And Paul said, yes, it is a gospel of grace, but it's a gospel of grace to make us something different. God is at work in our lives to make us something different. He's in the, in the business of taking us beyond the sinfulness that we participated in before. And so Paul is saying, these guys are there, and you don't need to fall for the gospel plus. Okay? Not Jesus plus. It's just Jesus. Now, we might not use the same names. We may not call them Judaizers, or we may not call them legalists. Well, sometimes we may. But in our culture, we have the same people. The same people who may claim Christ, but they live however they want to. They may claim Christ, but unless you live up to their code, they're going to judge you for it because they aren't living up, you aren't living up to their code. So we have people just like that today. And God has poured out His grace. God has poured out His grace so that we could know Him and that we could live for Him and that God could do that work in our lives that would change us. Our declaration is this. The good news, and it is good news, is that God's grace has come to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He has poured out His grace on His people and He has called us to live for Him but to enjoy that grace. He's poured it out and His mercy has broken the sinfulness. His mercy has broken the chains that keep people trapped in a lifestyle that's apart from Him. His, his mercy has come to end that cycle of having to live up to a standard somebody else sets and to try to attain some way of gaining His grace through his, their works. Jesus took our sinfulness and Jesus took our vain attempts to get to Him and He said, oh no, that's on the cross, that's nailed to the cross, just trust in me and follow me. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Him. Now, when Susan and I live in an area, we, we tend to try to live our lives with intentionality. And what that means is that, that we try to do uh, our life with people that we can build relationships with, that we can enjoy their, their friendships and, and, and try to build bridges so that we can share the gospel and share our life with them in a way that the gospel of grace can run over those bridges and, um, and make a difference in people's lives. That's just living intentionally. And, uh, and while we were serving in Europe, uh, one of the things that we did is we started a, uh, a university student group. We invited, in fact, we invited a whole apartment building across from the church. We invited the whole apartment building to our, our devotion and game night on Friday nights. The whole place. Two people showed up. One person. One person showed up. And her name is, we'll call her Maya. Maya's from North Africa. She had already decided that the Muslim faith was not her faith. She'd already discarded. And she had decided really that she really wasn't an agnostic. She wasn't an atheist. But she just didn't know who God was. 
And she was open. She was open to hearing about other gods. She came to our Bible study, and we began to build a relationship with Maya. Maya moved from Islam to atheism to agnosticism almost before our eyes. We met with her two weeks ago before we left Italy, and uh, we sat across from her, and we did this intentionally because we invited, we invited a couple of, of embeds, plants. We, we invited a couple of Christians that were kind of her age to pass her off to. And, uh, and so we, we sat around the table, and we were talking, and I shared the gospel with her again, and I, I, I encouraged her not to accept another religion, to build a relationship with God instead. That's so much better. And that's so much uh, more long-lasting. And so we were able to pray with her and share the gospel with her again and hand her off to, uh, to some of our friends who are followers of Christ and who lived in the same area and had walked out of and moved into um, uh, a Christian faith. We did that intentionally because we knew that, that she needed relationships around her that would encourage her toward faith, that would encourage her to, uh, to explore more of who who Jesus is and what Jesus called her to do. And I got a text from her since we've been back. And um, apparently she has built another relationship with a young man from America. I said, "Is is he a Muslim or is he a Christian? And she wrote back and said, oh, he's a Christian. So now she's got like three or four other Christians in her life, in her life. And we're praying that Maya will say yes to Jesus and and change the lives of people all around her from her country. Living intentionally, what would it be like if we as a church and this group of people, each one of us said, okay, tomorrow is an adventure. God has a plan and there are going to be people in my life that if I step into that relationship, I can build a bridge across which the gospel can follow. What if I live my life every day like that? And if our church lived as a church like that in our communities, we would see lives changed. Because people need to hear the good news. They need to hear the gospel. Well, let me share with you a second truth. The second truth is this. Paul reminds us this, that the Christ follower who has faith that goes the distance We're just unsatisfied with a little bit of God. There's a dissatisfaction with just a little taste of God. There's a a growing hunger to know more about Him and to experience His love and and His voice in our lives. Our passage reminds us that for whatever maturity you've reached, for whatever maturity I've reached, it's not something we can stand on but it's something that we build on. It's not something that we look back on and say, what great stories we have. But it's something that we we remember so that when we step into life, God is doing another story. And God is inviting us into another part of the adventure that we have to be able to walk with Him and walk in Him. He invites us to experience Him afresh. In In our verses, Paul is reminding us that whatever maturity we have achieved, is not, is not what we rest on. It's not what we rely on. Now, some of you here this morning may have just begun to taste Christ. Some of you may have 
have just begun to explore what it means to be a, a full-on follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I encourage you to keep at it. Keep getting into his presence. Keep coming on Sunday mornings here. I like the, the, uh, the hang five. Keep experiencing what God has through his body here at the church. And keep pursuing him on a day-to-day basis because God is faithful to draw us near to him when we draw near to him as well. And so I just encourage you to keep doing that. And then, you know, it, it's the same God, the same God that said, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. It's the same God that said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open your door, then I'll come in and I'll be Lord. I'll sit at the table with you and I'll enjoy life with you. That's the same God. And he invites us to that kind of a relationship and that kind of a nearness. One of my favorite writers is a guy who uh, wrote uh, the book called uh, Experiencing God and several other books as well. His his name's Henry Blackaby. We got to hear him speak uh, at one point in our journey. And uh, and he said this. He said uh, uh, in in his, he had a commentary on the book of Acts and he wrote this. He said, recognizing God is not the same as coming to him. Hearing God in your heart is not the same as answering him. Working for the kingdom of God does not mean that you're living in the kingdom of God. We can hear his voice, we can experience him, we can even serve him, but he invites us to step into a love relationship with him. When we do that, our lives and our perspectives change on church, on relationships, on life and in, in, its, in, in every way. When we decide that we are done growing, when we decide that we've, that we've heard enough, experienced enough, when we decide that, that we're done with God using us or speaking to us or having a step out in faith, once we decide that, then we quit listening to him. And once we decide that, we really quit growing. It's a fresh experience on a day-to-day basis. We may know the right words, but we need to know the Savior who speaks those words to us. We may fit into a Christian culture, and we may fit into a church, but we need our hearts changed by the power of God. Our faith can go the distance when we stay off the detours, and our faith can go the distance when we invite him in in all of his fullness and not just be satisfied with a little bit of God. And then thirdly, as followers of Christ who long for a faith that goes the distance, we are not ashamed to admit that we're broken. We're not ashamed to admit that we're needy, that we need him, that we are indeed in need of his mercy and of his grace. In the first verses of our, of our uh, passage, in verses 12 through 14, Paul talks about that. And he reminds us that we are, as Christians, we start off as broken and flawed people because we come to him for what? Healing, forgiveness, mercy, a new life. We come to him like that, but not only do we come to him like that, we live before him like that 
on a day-to-day basis. We come to him because, quite frankly, we can't fix ourselves. We are in need of a savior. We are in need of a healer. And when we come to him, we invite him to make us whole. We need him to save us. We need him to heal us. And we need him to make us whole. Now, you probably have already figured this out. Listening to my voice, that we are children of the South. Maybe the accent gave us away. Uh, of course, I lived down here at the beach all those years. I lived down here at the beach in you know, the cosmopolitan beach. You know, that's maybe, uh, but it's still the South. Susan, however, is from the deep heart of Georgia. She grew up, actually she was born in Atlanta, so she grew up in the, in the heart of Georgia. And there are words that people use to name people like us, I guess, uh, different names. But um, living in Georgia, we, I got to learn some of the words that they call or say about people from the South. Uh, her, her neighborhood in Georgia, it was a little town called Pine Mountain, and uh, close to Callaway, if that helps out anybody. And uh, her town, I'm sure, was the birthplace of all of the, you might be a redneck jokes. I'm just convinced it was so. You know, riding down the road and there's the half trailer wheel painted as the entryway to driveways, and uh, bathtub planters. If you have these, uh, I'm sorry if I offended you. So. And, and so we heard a lot of these and we saw a lot of these in our family life. And Joey was her brother. And we would hear stories about what Joey would do and what he would say. And most of the time when, when someone would relate a story like that, Susan would look at me and say, in typical Georgia fashion, he ain't right. <laughs> he ain't right. Well, I'll tell you that story because it segues into this point. We ain't right. We, when we come to Jesus, we, just, we, we ain't right. We need his help. We are, we are on the way. We've not arrived. And the maturity that we've gotten and the experiences that we've had and the choices we've made to stay on the right path are all setting us up for what tomorrow offers. We need his grace. And in fact, if we admit that we are broken, by admitting that we're broken, that actually opens up the door for a couple of things to happen. First of all, when we live a life that is that we wear our this is going to that we that we we aren't hiding our brokenness. When we live a life like that, it does two things. One is it tears down that that caricature that people who don't know Jesus have toward Christians. You know that people that aren't Christians a lot of times believe that we think that we're perfect. They think that we've got it all together. I'm not sure, they're not, they're not looking at me, obviously. But, but there's this caricature that, that people have toward believers in Christ that, that, we, that we have our lives all together, that we're perfect. When we live in a way that says to the people around us that we are on the way and that we are not perfect, then it tears down that caricature. And there's no excuse that people can use that, uh, that separates them from saying yes to Christ. The second thing it does is that it encourages people who are broken to have hope. 
When you share out of your own need with someone and they have a need, then it opens up their heart to say yes to Christ. When we live out of our own brokenness and our own scars and our own need for Jesus today and our own need tomorrow for Jesus, it tells people it's good to come to Jesus. It's good to come to Him. It opens up the door for them to to acknowledge their own brokenness. I had a friend, his name was Jim, and uh, Jim and his wife had a little uh, a little uh, bungalow, and I used to cut their 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 lawn uh, every two weeks. If you've ever cut lawn or have ever been involved in a business like that, it's called the mow blow go <laughs> technique. So I would pull up into their yard with my lawn mowers and everything, and their yard was small, so I used the the walk behind. I didn't have to use the big uh, the big ones, but I would pull up in the lawn, and after a couple of weeks. You know, I had, de- I had determined this business was not just a business. This is the way that we supported our lives while we were serving in a church uh, years and years ago. And, um, and so I just, I just said, God, whoever I'm, I'm in touch with, please help me to walk into a relationship. And after a couple of visits, Jim and his wife, Lois, invited me to sit at the table afterwards and have a glass of iced tea. And I thought that was pretty cool because they're from up north and they had adopted iced tea as their favorite drink. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. And so I would sit at the table and the conversation inevitably went toward the gospel um, by design or by the Holy Spirit's leading. And so we would sit there and talk about church and faith and choices and, uh, and, and inevitably when we started talking about the gospel of grace, that it is a gift of God to us, and we have to accept it. And in accepting it, we're saying that we're needy, that we need His grace. As soon as we got to that point, it seems like He would shut down because He just could not get over the fact that He couldn't do it Himself, that He couldn't make it work Himself, that He couldn't somehow expunge Himself of His own guilt. He knew a sin. He knew the gospel, he knew the right words, but he needed to step beyond knowing the words and step into a relationship with Jesus. And I encouraged him. He was 91 years old, so it was time. You know, this was time for him to make a choice like this. But he never could get past that. I stayed, I stayed in touch with him after the lawn business was gone and, uh, and prayed for him, but I lost track of him. When he moved, uh, I just you know I just lost track of him. I'm praying that that Jim and I'm praying that other people that know Jim will live intentionally in and and around his life so that he will see another example and so he'll hear the gospel again. But God wants us to live like that. He wants us to live in a way that we don't get sidetracked, that we that we continually crave more of Him and that we're willing to live out of our brokenness. And in, in being willing to live like that, we're not only building a faith that will go the distance, but we're building a faith that says to others around us, oh, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. Oh, please open the door of your life and say yes to Him, because His invitation is a good invitation. So this morning... 
You may be on a path that you are happy that you're maybe stepping off of. I encourage you to step onto the right path, to get off the detour, whether it be a detour where you've been trying to work your way to God and it's dissatisfying, or whether it's a detour that you've gotten involved in something that is contrary to what you know God's call for you is like. So today is the day that you step into the right way and you invite Jesus to walk along with you. It could be. It could be that you think back on your life and say, oh God, you've been so good to me, but I've, I've just, I've been satisfied. I've been in a rut. I've, I've not allowed you to speak into my life on a day-to-day basis. God, would you speak into my life today? Speak your voice into my life today and help me to hear your voice again. If either one of those cases is you, today is a good day, a good day to say yes to him. We're going to have communion in just a few minutes and I want to invite our worship team to come back up and to lead us in, uh, in our closing worship time. And we're also going to have communion in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. And uh, do, we, do we normally stand for communion? Let me ask you, everybody to stand with me. Stand where you are. And I want to pray for you. So if you just bow, close your eyes. Lord God, thank you that you uh, are near today. Thank you that you see our flaws. Thank you that you see the ways that we've blocked you out and you still pursue us. Thank you that you offer us today an experience that will last the distance. Thank you that you offer us today a chance to step back in to that relationship. Thank you that though we may have tasted, we've not sat at the table with you and you invite us to the table. And Lord, as we, as we come to a time of communion, that's exactly what this symbolizes. That you've invited us to the table to enjoy you. Enjoy the fellowship and friendship you offer. And enjoy the abundance. So today, Lord, hear the cries of our hearts. And as we take communion, Lord, would you meet us here. And would you change our lives so that our pursuit after you will be the adventure you've called us to. Come Holy Spirit and do the work that you desire to do in your people. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. In the strong name of Jesus who offers this gift. Amen. Amen. Amen.